Thanks so much for that uh, reading, Janine. Great to have that word before us. If you can open up your Bibles and have them open uh, for the sermon, that will be really helpful because I'll be referring to that passage um, as we go through. So that's on page 1160, I think. If you can get that open, that'd be great. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us this morning to be able to hear his word and to respond appropriately. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are present here. Thank you, Father, that your word is living and active. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit will apply this word. Father, would you convict us? Would you change us? Would you challenge and strengthen us so that we might live for your glory? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've, I'm just back from holidays, and uh, I want to ask you as, as, you, as I come back, uh, how's the world around you? Sometimes uh, coming back from holidays, for instance, you can feel that the world is pretty good. Uh, if you've had kids for too long at home, you might feel the world is a little bit on the brink. Uh, some of you might be thinking, I don't want to go back to work, so the holidays should continue forever. I was trying to think a little bit about how we perceive the world around us. There's four takes on the world for me. Firstly, when I'm at the beach, you know, I was down at the beach in Adelaide, I think the world is basically good, right? The people on the other towels up the beach are not very close to me, so that's good. The water is warm. Uh, the sun is not too hot. I'm thinking everything's right in the world. The world is basically good when I'm at the beach. Uh, when I'm on my bike, I think the world is sprinkled with nuts. Not peanuts, as in crazy other drivers. You probably think I'm crazy for being on a bike on the road. We can have that discussion later, so that's, that's okay. But, um, but my perception of the, of the distribution of goodness in the world is changed when I'm on my bike. I think there are less good people in the world uh, when I'm on my bike. Uh, when it comes to watching the news, uh, the world's a little unpredictable. And I might think that there are some people in the world who I don't particularly like, for instance, um, who, who might be doing all sorts of things. And so as I think about what's the world like, if you live in news world, okay, you can start to think, well, the world's a little unpredictable. And actually, there are a lot more bad people in the world except for the people who are, you know, have got a squirrel behind a speedboat or something. That's good. That's good. But everything else is looking pretty bad, right? And if you get to uh, somewhere like the Middle East, you can think at times that the world is despicably evil. Yeah? It's interesting, isn't it? Because on the beach, when I'm on the beach, the world is no more or less evil, is it? But my perception of it changes, doesn't it? And so what I want to do today is go, well, what is the world really like? We need to turn away from what I think to what God thinks. And so God sees more when he looks at the world and when he looks at the people of the world. He sees more, and he sees more about the state of our heart than just whether I think that someone driving too close to me on my bike is a bit of a jerk. Here's what he says in, uh, in Romans 8. He says this, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. God actually says there's something about the world around us which is everyone, on the beach, on the road, uh, in the news. There's actually a problem with everyone in the world who is not living in a way that's pleasing to God. And the problem is much more it's inability 
to please God rather than just a bad attitude. So you might think some people are just grumpy about God. Because there's actually a much bigger problem. In our hearts, we actually have an inability to please him until he saves us and cleanses us. So it's inability, not just a bad attitude, that is the problem with the world around us, including me. Well, if that's the situation, great start, hey, back from the holidays, straight into the good stuff. If that's the situation, then we need assistance from beyond ourselves because the problem is in here. It's not just that I need to pep myself up a little bit and the world will be a better place. And, and it's not even just that I need more education and the world will be a better place, although more educated people will be good. The problem is I need some help within here, with my inner life. And it's an inability, not a bad attitude. So I need someone to act on me to save me. That's what we're going to look at today in this passage uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I'm going to refer to my holidays a little bit just because I, I was thinking about holidays. I'm sorry about that. It'll, it'll wear off. Next week, I won't be talking about holidays anymore, I'm sure. Okay? But I had a good holiday. It was really great. One of the things we did on holidays was we went strawberry picking uh, in the hills in Adelaide. And I'd never been strawberry picking before. Um, of course, you all know that strawberries grow on trees. Is that right? Big, tall trees. Oh, no, they, they grow in plastic punnets, don't they, in the shops? And you can throw out about half of them straight away because they're all bruised and damaged at the bottom, hidden away from you. So that, that sounds more like it, doesn't it? Well, of course, none of that's true. They, they actually grow on the ground in little bushes. And, and, and we actually got to go to the farm and actually pluck them off where they were growing and put them in the tray, although I think the kids ate a good number of them before they got to the tray. Now, that was worth doing because they were absolutely the best strawberries I've ever tasted in my life. They were brand new. They, they were straight from the vine, totally fresh and totally new. No, no bruises on them. They weren't old and battered and injected with colour or whatever else they do terribly to, um, to ruin our, our, our strawberries. The other thing was they are actually tasty. Who knew strawberries were tasty these days? I thought they were just trying to grow them as big as an apple. Anyway, they were great. Fresh and brand new. And I love fresh and brand new. I think we all love fresh and brand new, and that's what's on offer here. That's what's on offer in this passage. Have a look with me uh, at, verse, at verse 17. Fresh and brand new is on offer. Verse 17 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It is possible... For hearts that are enemies to God, hearts that are hostile to God, to be made totally new, to have a completely fresh start, it is possible to have a new life. And here it is on offer here. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And so we can see here that what we're talking about is not a new coat of paint, but a new heart. See, God just doesn't say, I want to actually make you dress a little bit better. I want to take some of your time on Sunday and I want you to be a little bit more socially acceptable. He doesn't want to put an outward coat of religiosity on you. He wants to grab you, rip out your old heart and put a new one in. He wants to start you afresh. That's pretty good news. That's pretty good news. Our location makes it possible. If anyone is where... If anyone is 
in Christ, the new creation has come. So it's not possible for this complete renovation to happen unless we are included in Jesus. Outside of him, all we are doing is putting a coat of paint on. It's band-aids on leprosy. The disease is in us, but it will not be solved by band-aids covering it over. We need to be renovated from the inside out. How can this change be possible? So if it's possible for enemies to be turned into children, for the new creation to come, how is that possible? What is the force that makes this possible? The word that's used in the Bible uh, is the word that kind of is behind a picture like this one. I, I still remember uh, this day. It was uh, the 26th of May, 1998. Um, I, I love this picture. Whatever we think about Kevin, right? So here we go. Let's not get too political. We've just had Australia Day and I've got Kevin right up there. So I know everyone's just feeling a little bit... But bear with me, OK? Something amazing happened on this day. Okay? And I think this picture here with this shirt on and this lady and the Prime Minister of Australia, that something special was happening here. OK? When... when when sorry is offered and thanks is offered in return, that is something profoundly beautiful. The heart of that, the engine room behind that, is a word that we hear a lot called reconciliation. That's the engine. Whether it was achieved on that day or not, the first steps of that, that actually seeing something about that is captured there. Reconciliation, taking enemies and restoring relationships. Reconciliation. What I want you to see in this passage this morning is that God is in the reconciliation business. Have a look at this. I want you to see how often, and listen as we read through, how often this word turns up. Have a look with me from verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. See reconciliation there? What I want you to see is that when we were enemies to God, we didn't go, hey God, um, I'm having a bit of a bad hair day in my relationship with you. I'd like to make it right. We didn't take the initiative. That's not what happened. All this is where? All this is from God, it tells us. The initiative for salvation is God's. Not that we said, God, I'd like to be saved first. He said, I want to save you. The initiative is God's. And reconciliation is God's heart. He wants to make this relationship right. He wants to talk to men and women and say, you are broken. You are far from me. Your hearts are hardened toward me. I love you. I'm calling you back to me. I want to make this right. I want to make this right. Gee, that's exciting. Because whenever you think about God, you, you can think that God is against you. You can think that God is angry and he hates you. But his heart is to see enemies made children. Enemies made children. And it was he who took the initiative to make it possible. Look how he did it. Can you see this? Through Christ reconciling the world to himself in Christ. In Christ, the scope is global. The world to himself. What Jesus has done is not only died for our sins, it says in 1 John, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
For God loved us so very much, yeah, that he gave his son. The whole world is a global scope in Jesus. I, I, I think that message is amazing. So the world, who are enemies, can be made right. You and I can be made right with God. It's been done by Jesus. How on earth will people find out about it? Well, we'll text people, I guess. God will get on everybody's phone and text them and say, forgiveness is available, just enter in this form. Maybe someone will start writing it in chalk on a sidewalk. How will it happen? It will not happen through God speaking audibly from heaven. He actually is looking for people who will speak on his behalf. Now, I mentioned Australia Day before. I didn't even know these things existed. I put, I put in ambassadors into the computer and I found out they're Australia Day ambassadors. Does anyone know this? Some of you do. Lyndall, you're nodding. Does anyone else apart from Lyndall know about Australia Day ambassadors? All right. Four or five of you, that's good. The rest of you, I'm telling you about Australia Day ambassadors. How about that? The idea is that there are people chosen each year to be ambassadors for Australia Day. So you can have an event and invite someone who's an Australia Day ambassador to come and speak. There are the people who've done great stuff in our community, who've contributed to the community, and who are passionate, patriotic Australians. And so the idea is you can have a bottled Australian come and talk. Now, I would have thought we'd all follow So if you're looking for someone to speak at the Australia Day thing, you could just say, anyone want to come up and say how good Australia is? And of course we'd all come forward. Anyway, if you want to do that, you can apparently call up an Australia Day ambassador, someone who will represent Australia. Speak on Australia's behalf at an event in Australia to Australians. There's a much better use of the word ambassadors in this passage, and I absolutely love how it's put here in the second half of verse 19. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, what's God's plan? How will the message get out? It's you. You are to be his ambassador. You are to be his spokesman. He actually says that he's going to make his appeal to the world through you. How does that make you feel, church? I can hear the excitement. No, I can see one person being excited. Thanks, Lorraine. I can, I can see that. I think for the rest of us, whenever, whenever I do this, whenever I speak like this, I think most people will feel intimidated before they feel privileged. Does that sound right? I see some people nodding quietly. Will feel intimidated. What do you mean I'm Christ's ambassador? When I go overseas, I'm happy to wear thongs and put my cork hat on and be an ambassador for Australia. No. But when it comes to being a representative for Christ, how will people know that I'm Christ's ambassador? How will people know? And if they did know, if I did have a metaphorical Jesus sticker on the back of my car, what happens when we have the Jesus sticker on the back of our car? I used to have a, um, a 1975 uh, Toyota Corolla, and we put Fear God on the back of it. So it's probably more an advice to other drivers than anything else. <laughs> um, but, but the idea of having publicly identified yourself as a Christian 
What, what happens then? We have to start thinking about how you're acting, don't you? Well, that's, that's deep orange. That, that line is deep orange. Perhaps I won't go through. Uh, the speed limit is... So perhaps rather than a little bit over, I might actually look at what the limit is. What about in our workplaces, in our families? When people know that we're Christians, whether you have a, a Jesus tattoo on somewhere or whether you're wearing the Jesus T-shirt, once people know you're a Christian, they know you're a Christian and they're watching, aren't they? So whether you know it or not, you are right now being an ambassador for Jesus. The question is, what kind of ambassador are you being? And what's distinctively an ambassador for Jesus about you? See, at one level, it's easy for me, isn't it? I get to walk around with the sticker literally on me all the time. I'm the minister, right? But I have to keep thinking about it, right? I've got to keep thinking, in what way am I honouring Jesus here? Should I say more? Should I speak up? If God's appeal is being made through me, when was the last time I said anything about Jesus? I think most of us will start by feeling intimidated more than we'll feel privileged. But here's the crazy thing. As you feel intimidated, most of you will be thinking, hey, God, can I just give you another secret? You made a mistake in picking me. Why do you think the four other people, give you their names and addresses if you want, they can be your ambassadors, not me. And so we think, God, you don't need me, and if you do need me, you clearly made a mistake. There's a great kid song that Colin Buchanan has, which says, God never says... Does anyone know it? God never says, God never says oops. He makes no mistakes. When he chose for you to be his ambassadors, to make his appeal through you, it wasn't a mistake. We are his hands and feet, yes, but we will be his voice and his heart as well. And if we're a group of people who will never speak, how will he make his appeal through us? How will it happen? And you can say, look, I love everyone at my workplace and I tidy up the, the, the cups and I, I rake the lawn and I, I whatever, I, I don't know what you do. I'm the one who always makes the kids' beds to show them that Jesus loves them or something. Really? That's good. Don't stop doing any of that stuff. But if you never speak of Jesus, how on earth will people know that you're not just a good person? And if you never speak of Jesus, they'll think you are a good person and that it's not because of Jesus. Do you see this? You're actually a good person. You're a better person than them. Is that the impression we want to leave them with? Just checking in church, is that the impression we want to leave them with? It's not, is it? So here's the crazy thing. If you want to love without speaking, you'll actually be building yourself up in their eyes and not Jesus. Crazy, isn't it? So I want, to, I want you to know God didn't make a mistake and, and you should feel privileged to be his ambassador. We should have a passion for God and for people. See what Paul writes? He implore you on Christ's behalf. Why does he implore? Because he loves God and because he loves the people who don't know him. 
So we should have a passion for God and we should have a passion for people that just overflows out of us. And so I would say there is a bearing and a burden. The bearing is Christ's ambassadors. It should change how we act. I carry that bearing about me as I engage with the world. And we should have a burden. We should carry God's heart. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So how did this happen? How did this reconciliation thing happen? Well, one of the things that um, happens when you, when you travel is uh, you take your, your, your money with you or before you go, you change your money. But it's worse when you're over there and you've got some of your money. So you go, actually, can I pay you in Australian dollars? And they go, oh, it's made of plastic. How cool is that? No, you can't. You, you may as well, may as well hand over a plastic bag. It's not going to get you any more goods, right? But in this foreign place, you can take this plasticky stuff that's kind of got some nice patterns on it, and you can hand it across to someone who's a money changer, and they can give you the stuff that really matters, the currency of the local place. They can change your apparently worthless stuff into something that has value in that place. Have a look at the exchange that happens here in this passage. Have a look with me at verse 21. It's absolutely spectacular. God made him, that's Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an extraordinary exchange that happened. We turned up with our hardened hearts and God took our sin and our rebellion and he looked at Jesus and his perfect obedience and his love for the Father and something extraordinary happened. You see, sin needed to be dealt with. God just, God just couldn't just go, hey, sin, no biggie. Because he's just because he's righteous, because he's holy, he couldn't just go, it doesn't matter about sin. He had to deal with sin. And yet he wanted to love and forgive us. How would it happen? Sin had to be dealt with. Sin is dealt with finally and forever in his perfect son, Jesus. Finally and forever. And we receive from Jesus in this exchange too. I want to I give you a word today. And some of you will know this word already, and some of you won't. Um, so the word today is imputed. Imputed. And what it basically means is credited, counted on another side of the ledger. Counted on another side of the ledger. I'll show you how it kind of works in this particular instance. Here's Jesus. Awesome. Uh, here's someone who needed saving. Okay. Whose heart was hard and in rebellion against God. And, and what that meant was, between me and Jesus, was fixed a barrier. My hardened heart would not allow me to submit to God's law. I was unable to please God. And when we look at the two sides of the ledger, what we have is me, my life, with sin. We have Jesus who is utterly sinful. Peter says... He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He lived with Jesus day and night. He said he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his life. Could anyone live with you for three weeks and say that? I reckon you'd be hard-pressed to get through three hours, wouldn't you? So, so Peter looks at Jesus and says, no sin, no deceit, utterly perfect before God. How extraordinary. 
And so then we look at the next line of the, the ledger. I'm unrighteous. Before I was saved, I was unrighteous. I did not live righteously before God. Jesus only ever knew the righteous life. It's all he knew. And so on the cross, something happens. This Jesus is perfectly qualified. He's the gold standard. See the gold there? That's, that's, that's the hint. He's the gold standard on perfection. Me? I'm not. I was going to do it black, but it would disappear. So that, this is the bad side of the equation. Okay? I'm qualified as an enemy of God. Jesus is qualified as a son. The perfect son. So on the cross, something extraordinary happens. My sin and unrighteousness is placed on the perfect son. In Jesus on the cross, God punishes my sin and my unrighteousness. Jesus dies the death I deserve to die. Extraordinary. Utterly undeserved. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, is what it said. It's completely crazy. And so Jesus died on behalf of the sins of the whole world. Died. The light, the life died. But he was so righteous and so holy that what happened was God raised him to life. He raised him to life. And that is supposed to be a resurrection arrow. So I don't know why it's got a little question mark on it, but that's supposed to be resurrection. And so God, Jesus came back to life again and he wasn't just neutral, he was restored to righteousness. And what the Bible says is that God will extend Jesus' righteousness to me by faith. So if I say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, I'm trusting what Jesus' death and resurrection has done, God says, I will share Jesus' righteousness with you. You will be counted as righteous with my son. Imputed righteousness, credited to you. Does this make sense? So you and I can be counted as righteous as Jesus. Extraordinary. Have a listen to Paul waxing lyrical about it in Romans 4. He says this, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. What does he say? Give up trying to achieve righteousness. It's not going to work. You're not going to be able to ever wipe away the sin in your heart. But you can exchange your heart for one that Jesus has paid for. One that is utterly made new. Give up trying to be righteous. You'll never get there. You can't be any more righteous. Isn't that extraordinary? You can't be any more righteous. You can't be counted any less righteous. Jesus is your righteousness. He's done it, paid it all. He sits at the right hand of your Father in heaven. You're included with him. He is your righteousness. So live in his righteousness. Why does this matter? I was reading a sermon from John Piper and he said this. He said, church, I want you to preaching. He said, church, I want you to get this. So that when I come and sit by your bedside when you're dying, I might be able to speak his words of great assurance to you. Have no fear of death. Your righteousness is in Jesus. He is in heaven and will never be taken from you. 
you will never have to doubt when you are good enough for God if your righteousness is in Jesus. You'll never lose it. Your right standing before your Heavenly Father is utterly assured. Where do we go with that amazing news? There's this incredible group of guys called uh, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. And they run a thing called the Doomsday Clock. Have you heard this? The Doomsday Clock is telling us how close we are to nuclear annihilation. And they just updated the time. This was unveiled two days ago or something like that. And they say the time is now two and a half minutes to midnight. You know, it's when everything like this happens. He said, they're saying the world is about to end. Two and a half minutes. You get their metaphor, don't you? Yeah. So they're saying we're, we're close to the end. It's a highly unstable place. There's nuclear weapons everywhere. The end of the world is coming. The proximity to the day is drawing closer all the time. Have a listen to the far more positive view that the Bible has about the day. Here's what it says. As, uh, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. How many minutes to midnight is it? None. Today is the day of salvation. Right now. Today is a great day to get saved. It really is. I want you to see we're co-workers with God, but God is on mission first and we join him. He loves all the people around us. He loves your family. He loves your friends who don't know Jesus yet. He is on mission first. We join him as co-workers. Secondly, today is a great day to be saved. If you're here today and you did not know that you're an enemy with God and you've heard today that he is offering full and free forgiveness, today is a great day to say, I choose to follow Jesus today. I give up trying to be righteous. It always fails anyway. I take hold of the forgiveness that's in Jesus. I want to be found right before you, God. Today is a great day to be saved. And let me tell you, for those people that you know and love, tomorrow will be too. Tomorrow will be too. We live in the time of God's favour, in the time of his salvation, where he is offering something extraordinary to the people around us. We have a way of capturing this. We talk about it uh, in, our, um, in, our, in our brochure. We talk about saying, if you want to help people come to know this good news, connect with them. Take the first step. Seek to be a blessing. Care for them. Find a way to do something practical for them. Then you actually have to speak. You have to communicate. You have to speak clearly about Jesus. And we can think, well, the job's done there. But I want to encourage you, there's a fourth step. The fourth step is to invite people to commit to repent, to find faith in Jesus, and to be baptised. There's a practical way at church here. We want to encourage you to be ambassadors for Jesus. And so life change is required today. Life change is required. Firstly, I want to speak to the people who's you. You, you can put me up there. Me is you, you is me, that sort of thing. Yep, you get the, you. Here's the thing. When you go home from church, right? You go, oh, I heard this message today. And if you don't know Jesus yet, you're going to go sit down and there's a pile of washing. Wonderfully followed by my wife. Thank you. Beautiful. There's a pile of washing and there's a TV. And do you know what? You can get lost in house stuff and drain your brain on Netflix. And you can go back to whatever you were doing before and ignore the reality of this. Can I tell you, don't do it. Today is a great day to get saved. Today is a great day to get saved. Don't let it go. Say yes. Say yes to Jesus today. When I go home, I've got neighbours in my cul-de-sac. There's my cul-de-sac. These are my neighbours. 
Got new neighbours who've just walked in. I had a chat with my other neighbour over the fence while I was watering the lawn yesterday. I love them. I don't know if they know Jesus yet. I don't think they do. I am their ambassador from Jesus. I've been appointed, specially appointed. I have the privilege of being an ambassador for Jesus in my cul-de-sac. So does my family. So do you where you are. In your workplace, in your set of friends, you are a specially appointed ambassador for Jesus. What a privilege. So church, I want to encourage you this year to be praying. Praying for a family member, a friend, a next-door neighbour, and someone that you're yet to meet. And we'll talk more about this next week. I want to encourage you to be praying specifically that these people will come to know and love the Lord Jesus. Here's our place. Here's our place in our suburb. A beautiful photo was sent to me by a guy flying over the other day. He texted me after he landed and said, you'll like this photo. I said, I love it. Here's our church on the hill in the midst of a suburb. What, what do we say we want to be? We long to see you like in Jesus come to every home. How will that happen? It is not someone else's job. It is our job, you with me as co-workers with God. And so I want to invite you next week. On Saturday, we're opening up the church. I'm going to open up the church at 7.30 in the morning. Don't worry, you don't have to be at 7.30. I'm going to open up at 7.30 in the morning. Till 12. And what I want to encourage you to do, church, is find some time to come and pray. Pray for the year. Pray for the people you love who don't know Jesus yet. Pray for this suburb. Pray that God would fill this building multiple times over this year with people you know and you love who don't know Jesus. Will you join me? Will it be costly? Is that the thing you want to do on Sunday morning? No, 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 no. Here's why we do it. Because the most important thing isn't the washing. It isn't Netflix. It's God's glory. And it's the opportunity that was won at extraordinary cost through through the cross. That's why. And I want to encourage you to be co-workers with me as we long to see new life come to every home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the concept that you would strike first, you would find us, save us in your son Jesus Christ is extraordinary. It's all grace. Father, we thank you for your grace. We ask that you'd lift our eyes to the harvest field around us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be filling us with energy and passion and purpose to be your ambassadors. Father, forgive us where we stuff it up. Renew us because of the great hope that our righteousness is in Jesus. And Father, we pray that you'd build your church here so we see new life come to every home. For we ask it in his name. Amen.